0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, Void we prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello and welcome to the fourth and final part of our Dick Knight specials. Dick Knight box set you could call them. Um, where we chatted to Dick in the final part of our conversation about the annex and other matters besides. So here it is, hope you enjoy this. Um, back to you, legend Sir Dick Knight.
2: Where do you want to take it from there? What's your well, next story? <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a bit of a, a, a nice, light-hearted story for you. Um, obviously, Mickey, I was very sad to le- let, uh, for Mickey to leave, uh, you know, after his very successful stint as our manager the first time round. But I knew he was ambitious. I also knew that going into Leicester with Harry Bassett, who was then the manager, Mickey was going to be his assistant. That was only going to be for a short while. and indeed. The following season, Mickey led them, you know, Leicester, to the championship. We happened to play them the last game of the season at, you know, uh, the Walker's Stadium, as it was called then. And it was the most amazing uh, occasion, really, because, first of all, when the game ended... Mickey spent as much time over with the Brighton fans, you know, He went into a corner where the Brighton fans were, and he was you know, applauding them and they were applauding him, really enjoying the success that he deservedly got, you know, leading Leicester to the premiership. And um, so we, you know, there was about four or five of us Brighton directors at the game, and uh, we all retired into the... um into the boardroom to let them enjoy the celebrations. Um, and this guy came up to me, one of their directors came up to me and he said, uh, he looked at my seagull badge in my lapel and he said, that's a lovely badge that is gold, isn't it? And I, I you know, nodded and he said, he said, that's a lovely, he said, are you a member of the local yacht club? <laughs> like, no, this means I'm the chairman of Brighton, the Seagulls. He didn't know anything about they were called Seagulls. I am a member of the local yacht club. <laughs> yes, so I am, you know, it's called the Brighton Hove Albion Yacht Club. Um anyway. That's just so well known for its yacht
1: clubs, I imagine, as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's not well known for its yacht clubs, no doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. coastal an area no. and all that sort of I can, thing. I see, thing. I can the see, I can see Dick other on thing. a yacht actually. I reckon, I reckon he could be a yachtsman. Are you a yachtsman, Dick? Me? Yeah.
2: Uh, well, yeah. I did have a yacht, yes. Ah, uh, uh, there we are. I thought so. That's
1: in Leicester. <laughs> anyway, anyway. I'm, not clearly in Leicester. Wearing,
2: <laughs> I'm clearly wearing. I'm clearly wearing a seagull's bag. You know, my little the that I always had. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but there, there's actually a postscript to that story, which was, um, so we're all in the boardroom back, you know, just having a coffee or a drink after the game and kind of thinking one day it could be us going to the premiership, you know. But within a few minutes, all of these directors of Leicester were back in the boardroom, you know. And it was like, they just took it, it was like it, they weren't celebrating particularly and, you know, I, I thought I remember saying to our guys imagine what we would be doing if we ever get it, get to the premiership or well, when we get to the premiership uh-huh. you know, we'll be dancing in the streets for days to come and these guys were all so cool about, well they weren't cool it just didn't mean very much to them you know, mm. and I swear to God, they not only did they come back in the boardroom, most of them, they all left quite soon after that. The the boardroom was virtually empty, apart from four or five Brighton directors and one or two Leicester directors, but not the the huge crowd that you'd expect celebrating promotion to the premiership. Anyway, that's the story which, uh, (laughs) you know, you, you only get those little observations on the inside, but also, you know, you, you it makes you wonder why people say football club directors don't know very much about football. <laughs> it, it answers that question. More well, about geography, apparently. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but there weren't many.
0: <laughs> well,
2: well, we do have yachts off the coast of Brighton. so <laughs> yeah, A lot more than you do off
0: the uh, non-existing coast of Leicester, certainly. No, <laughs> oh, no.
2: Well, he was obviously, you know, very... um you know, sort of jealous that I had a Yacht Club badge, you know. <laughs> anyway. Brilliant. For those, so, there we
1: go. Yeah, I mean, it was happy times D. under, under Mickey. D. Yeah, I mean, after, after Mickey, we had Peter Taylor, we had Martin Hinchwood, Steve Coppel, Mark McGee, Dean Wilkins. Mickey came back, then we had Dean White, and Russell Slade completed your your set, um, so to speak. Um, what did you make of all that? I mean, you talked about selling the club. Obviously, getting Peter Taylor in was quite eye-catching, after the dis- disappointment of losing Mickey, which we were all gutted about at the time. Um, and he continued things, didn't he? And During that season, he came in in um, October, didn't he? Mid- Mid-October of 2001 and completed the job, got us, got us um, promoted. And um, we've well, it's was back-to-back, wasn't it? And great times. W- what did you make of that era? And also well, what happened afterwards? Yeah.
2: What was interesting there was that... Um... Peter, you know, was a bit of a tinkerer, to be honest. Mm. He wanted to put his own stamp on the team, which is understandable up to a point. But I also, you know, when Mickey left for Leicester in October that season, we were already third in the league or second in the league and, you know, looking like major candidates for promotion. Uh, and And I said, Peter, you know, what you don't need to do, we don't, you don't need to change the way this team plays. We play ostensibly 4-3-3, three, three, but actually it's 4-5-1 because the two wide players are often in midfield and Bobby can hold it up on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, and this team knows how to play that system and they play it very well. And there's a lot of players getting forward to support Bobby, either, you know, in the flanks, uh, in the channels, And that's the way we play it. And um, he said, OK, Mr. Chairman, you know, and I said, we've got a very strong uh, set of players. You know, leadership wise, they are all uh, leaders in their own way. They're very strong. And, um, you know, uh, the captain, uh, who's also the club captain, Paul Rogers, uh, is a genuine leader. You know, and the players, all the other players respect him greatly. So, you know, what I'm asking you to do is don't muck around with the team too much, uh, because we don't need it. You know, they would just, they know what their jobs are. Your mm-hmm. job is to, you know, sort of nurse the ship forward, um, along the same path that we're already on. And, uh, he did, he did do that largely. He did bring in, he tried to bring in a number of players. The only mm-hmm. one that I, there were two that he brought in. One was, um, you know, a striker, uh, called, um, Danny Webb. And, uh, Danny was the son of Dave Webb, the former Chelsea, you know, captain and fullback. And, um, you know, he had a, Peter had a real soft spot for Danny Webb. And, you know, we had, you know, we had uh Zamora and Steele, you know the the Scouser playing off Bobby, you know. And uh I said with the our our strikers are they're well good enough for this league, right? <laughs> but he wanted to play Danny Webb and um Steele got What was Steele's first name? Remind me. Lee.
1: Mm. Oh, Lee. That's it, Lee.
2: Lee. Lee, Lee, who's a real character. Absolute (laughs) wonderful character around the dressing room, around the cup. He got a bit annoyed with the manager because, you know, he had to prove himself even more to stay in the team, (laughs) which he did largely. He brought a... uh, Peter brought in a midfield player called Junior Lewis from uh, Leicester, who was a very, very good player. And he did... Uh, significantly contribute to the latter third of the season. He scored a few
0: goals, didn't he? He got quite a few quite important goals as well.
2: Yeah, he he was a real good addition to the team. Uh, I remember him wading through a quagmire at Whitbeam against Reading when we absolutely knocked the spots off them. In the end, it was only 3-1, but it could have been 6-0. And they only scored because... um, a striker playing for them, you know, called, call, <laughs> called, um, Forster, you know, me, Nicky Forster scored this great goal for them. And I saw, I spotted, I, I took, caught, he caught my eye. And I thought one day when we don't have Bobby anymore, I like the look of Forster. He's got, a, you know, the way he took this goal was really good. And of course, mm. later, you know, Several years later, I, I was able to sign him. Um, but anyway, the, so we went to the title, second year, two year, two years running, won the league, two years running, league two and then
0: league one. And, uhm. only the fifth or sixth team to do it in history of like winning two leagues, one above, one below, going up and then winning the league again, ever. Yeah,
2: two successive
0: actual yeah. leagues. Champions League tied different divisions. It was some. It was sort of a crazy record. Only you know five or six or something in history. It was six and, uh, yeah. about about four of
2: those teams were all before the turn of the twentieth century. They yeah. were all in the period, you know, in the sort of eighteen nineties or something. And there we were, you know, creating this. um You know, uh, well, we, you know, we we didn't do we didn't break a record completely, but. As you say, Peter, there were very few t- teams have ever done that. I mean they got promotion in successive years, yeah. but they hadn't actually won the title in successive years, yes, Which with playoffs
0: is, obviously the promotion in successive years is actually pretty you know it's not easy, but it's doable, but to actually win the league both times and win it with a you know t- times are fair as well both times
2: yeah and and with virtually the same team as as uh, yeah. <coughs> You know, as Ross mentioned earlier, it
0: was virtually the same team. Yeah. That's how good they were. Although, the, the, the one of my uh, favourite games was where we were missing one of our, our favourite players when Zamora was out and, every, and, and there was that Colchester programme saying he was, uh, we were a one-man team or something and then we were three up, up an hour, I think it was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how was that, that like game? That was great. Yeah. I in three deals a we...
0: one-man team for most of the game. Well, yeah, we,
1: yeah. we sung that. They did take it in good grace. So yeah, yeah. Going, yeah,
0: yeah, Isn't okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, of course, with the had its moments in all sorts of strange ways. Um, I mean, I always, I'll never forget when we first went there, Lou Macari, you know, we played Huddersfield, who was manager, he was manager of Huddersfield early that first season. And he came into the, uh, he came in the ground and he looked around and he said, is this where we play? Is this where the game's played? And, um, you know, um, Mickey, who was the manager then, said, yeah, this is it. This is the bit. He said, it's like like playing a bloody pre-season friendly in Norway.
1: (laughs) Or Albania Division 8 as a certain person. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know,
2: we play in in, uh, uh, an athletic stadium that we all hate. It's as bad as playing in Albania Division 8. That was one of... (laughs) John Payne's wonderful lyrics, yeah, wasn't yeah. it, from his song?
1: Wonderful uh, stuff there. Yeah. Brilliant yeah.
2: stuff. I mean, all creative, innovative thinking. Um, to cut, you know, finish on with Dean, because I have many fond memories of with Dean, but one of my fondest, I think, is the when we thought we'd got the final approval on the stadium, which was in um, 2005 six season. Hmm. And we'd got through the second public inquiry. We'd actually, you know, John uh, Prescott had reopened the public inquiry because he wasn't convinced of the findings of mm. the first one, thank goodness. Uh, and um, so we got through that second one, and therefore, you know, we thought we were home and dry. And I was talking with Norman Cook uh, a week or so ago about that, uh, when we all went down to Donatello's to celebrate, and there were pictures of all over the front of the Argus of me and Norman and, and Martin and uh, Mark McGee, who was the manager at that time, you know, all celebrating with champagne all over us. Uh, and um, and so we didn't know then that the uh, you know that Lewis were going to throw their uh, their finals. Play their final card of taking it to the High Court. So that appeal took another two years to resolve and it cost us another nearly three million pounds of fees. You know, absolutely wasted money. But mm. uh, when we got this uh, decision out, the set, you know, the, the recommendation of the second public inquiry was that they should be allowed to build at Thalma. That was the moment for celebration. We were playing Ipswich that Saturday at home I said to the board I've got an idea why don't we serve champagne to everyone who comes to the game right no one's ever done that before and because we only get, you know we can only hold 7000 it's not going to cost us that much but what a lovely touch you know because it won't be difficult to do because all the entrances to the ground were at one end basically weren't they So we can put all these trestle tables up, you know, buy a few, you know, several crates of champagne and get some flutes, which were higher, plastic flutes, champagne flutes, and we'll serve everyone champagne, right? (laughs) (laughs) I said, you know, you're mad, but why don't we do it? And I said, yeah, because I'd worked out that it would only, it wouldn't cost that much, you know, maybe Six thousand pounds, but after all the effort had gone in and, and what we'd spent on legal fees, some six thousand pounds didn't sound very much. And um, so we duly did that, and the kids obviously got, you know, got squashes and lemonade or whatever. So the chairman of Ipswich turns up in the boardroom, you know, a couple of hours before the game. He says, a "Nice gesture, Dick. You know that you're doing." This is David. Uh, Sheepshanks. Sheep yeah. Hmm. It was the uh, the um you know who's the chairman of Ipswich, and he said um and I told him the reason why and he said it was a great idea, so I said um, he looked at me and he said my um you know one of my partners one of my uh, the family who owned the club which is this brewing family in Suffolk hmm. you know. Peter, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the of the firm, uh, the company, but it's he he's still he's a director and he turns up to every game. And he he'll be here soon, so um, <clears throat> let's um, you know let's have a little game with him. So he comes in, he comes in, and David says to him, Peter he said, "Have you seen that champagne that they're served, bright and served to their fans?" So he, he Peter says. Yes, what a splendid idea, he said. He was in, the, he was in his jodpers and it, it, you know, in his, <laughs> you know, what do you call it? clear <laughs> stalker hat. Completely, <laughs> really, um, You know, different sort of character to the normal football club boardroom. And he, and he, said, he said, so David said, isn't that a lovely thought? So, so Peter, the, the director, the, the of, old time, he said, I think we should look into that ourselves. We should do you know, I think we should do that every day. Well, he asked me, he said, every day. I said, yeah, we did. It's pretty easy to do, Peter, because you know, we only have about 6,000 people here, it's not difficult to do. I think it's a nice way to say thanks to our fans. <laughs> David, you know we're killing ourselves laughing behind his back. <laughs> and then and then uh, towards the end i couldn't let him i mean David was going to play the. More into the following week, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't let him go, thinking that you know that's what we did. So I said, uh, one thing I need to say to you, Peter, is this was a one-off occasion. (laughs) What a shame! He said, why why can't you do it more often? (laughs) Brilliant. These things that happen in football, you know, you you
1: couldn't make it up. I love that. I very much doubt there's any Ipswich fans listening. But if there is any, they'll be gutted now thinking they missed out yes, on that
0: They missed out the chance. I mean or <laughs> well, maybe they didn't, maybe we maybe we don't know about it, but that there uh, was a few days <laughs> yeah. But of course yeah, in might
2: those not. days they used to average about twenty thousand more than we did. <laughs> yeah. You know, they used to average about twenty six thousand and we averaged six. So I did say to him it might be a bit more awkward for you to it than it's been
0: for us to do it. But um, oh, it's lovely. Oh, it Turning a little bit to a another of everyone's favourite memories of Wifteen, but not actually at Wifteen, the uh, the day at the Millennium Stadium. What what was your uh, your memories of that day? And also, what sort of, what how big a role do you think that played in the farmer campaign? Because obviously, seeing the so many fans there it must have been a big bonus to you know to back up your like claims of how many fans we could get.
2: Yes, we took
0: <coughs> excuse me, we took uh,
2: thirty one thousand to. Uh, Bristol. Sorry, to Cardiff against Bristol City. Um, but also the fans. I mean we had all these banners around the stadium great around where the fans were. Our fans were saying, you know, slogans like, Can we have one of these press You know, great around the stadium. Um and oh a whole lot of great, you know, great slogans, uh, all of which speed visual recovery obviously so that was um, a huge boost to the campaign uh, and it was at the right time because you know the the first public inquiry was had finished by then and um, it was it was it had only finished about three months before uh, and we were thinking that it was all home and dry until the local plan inspector came out saying they shouldn't be allowed to build, uh, build a farmer, and so we did all this activity then, aimed at John Prescott to, you know, to basically understand that there's huge support for this, for this stadium in Brighton, and we should not be denied it, you know, because of a few people who didn't like the fact that we were going to be near the down. There's no other place to go if you have a stadium in France. Yeah. It it's, it's for sport and hell. It's not, you know, I mean, some of this, the, again, the criticisms that we had on the opponents to the stadium were unbelievable. You know, you're, you're going to build a Nazi concentration camp. It's like that type of place is going to be, I mean, it was just unbelievable. The length that people would go to to try and stop it happening. And some of the... What was interesting is some of the local politicians were very much against it. And guess who was in the queue, you know, when we eventually got there and started playing there? Um, Mr Knight, you know, could I come to the game? You know, these were some of these people that have been totally against it. Um, Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, this is a bit like with... We have Martin Perry at Seagulls Over London, and I think it was there that he said... I think he's also said this on the Albion Raw podcast, um, that he, you know, when they had the planning application for the hotel, they tried to, um, to get that through. And that's the only, apparently the only thing that Martin Perry hasn't managed to get through in the planning process. And, um, apparently the councillors were saying, well, no, we don't want that hotel there because it will block our view of the stadium.
2: <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? I mean, I think that the, uh, yeah, uh, that is true. That's absolutely true. They they said that, well, one of the idiots did. I mean, then you know they're not sorry. One of these guys who's rather foolish or a lady who yes. <laughs> made this comment. But um, I think that you know the the club was used to getting um, these things through, and uh, unfortunately you know, that didn't come off, which is a shame because the club would have... It would have been a useful place to have a nice hotel. But the yeah. fact is that what we've got now at the stadium is the fact that, you know, much more relevant and more important is the fact that the car park, the main car park, can't be used at the present time. And I, I hope the club can resolve that because it really is, uh, mm. you know... I When I left, I, I remember saying to Martin you know, we need to buy that piece of land. You need to, you know, we need to make sure that's covered. Um, And unfortunately, I think, you know, the owner of the land was not happy to sell it. And uh, anyway, it's unfortunate that the club is now, you know, it's almost like a ransom strip, which is being applied against the club. And uh, it it needs to be resolved in a sensible, amicable way. Because, you know, the... It's not really fair that, the, that there's virtually no parking at the stadium apart from the Sussex you know, University car park. Um, so anyway, it's, it's one of those things. That, but the battle for, this, for that stadium was, it was, a, it was the only football stadium in the history of football that had a history before the, the, a ball was kicked. The battle for it was a story in itself. And, uh, you know, frankly, it, it the chapters that were written about it before we actually played a game, but at the same time, imagine we played, it was 14 years between the last game at the Goldstone and the first competitive game yeah. at the Amex. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't have made that up. And I come from a world of, you know, fantasy in advertising. That's one of the things you create is fantasy. If I'd put that together as, in a script, people would have said, "Don't be ridiculous! <laughs> How could it be 14 years before you get to a yeah. new stadium?"
0: We're talking about that Ipswich game. It was five and a half years till we played the first game at the Emirates. After that, you know, we think it exactly. should um, start. We we're you know going to be we're not not right there, but obviously we could start building soon and that sort of start sourcing stuff soon. Yeah. It was five and a half years later before we actually got to play at the Emirates. I
2: mean, Louis, you-, you know, the Louis. Uh, uh, attempts to block it Lewis council attempts were really quite desperate and um they did not consult their residents over it um, and I suppose that's what they have councillors for but at the end of the day it cost the residents of Lewis you know quite a lot of money because they you know in the end they backed down because okay. they knew they weren't going to win the case
0: and, they uh, also lost the money they've got from matchday income, because Lewis makes a lot of money as a place out of Brighton home games. Of course, absolutely. They they, they lost two or three seasons of that, probably, it, it, as well. The, the, the shops and the restaurants and the cafes and pubs of Lewis lost a lot of money out of people. I mean, I go to Lewis for games cause it's easier to get to the, to the MX from Lewis than Brighton. There's a lot of Balbin fans and away fans around there. Pubs are always busy, restaurants. There's never any trouble, it's just... And it's thriving, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. I was down there at the weekend, actually. It's a thriving yeah, we, place
2: now. You know, we've yeah. made all those economic points to them, but they mm. weren't interested. It was, yeah. they just had this vision of rampaging hooligans, you know,
0: rampaging yeah. through the high streets of Lewis. The irony is if any of the very few rampaging hooligans will go to Brighton anyway. You, know, you don't get many hooligans heading to Lewis for a cut to meet up with other hooligans. No, it's just out on Friday night instead. Yeah. Any any yeah. trouble goes goes on in Brighton normally, yeah. or the ground or I, I, what I don't mean. know. I don't know, Dick, if it's
1: more frustrating or less frustrating for you compared with the uh, the so-called average friend in terms of that whole planning process. Because I mean, on the one hand, you're proactively trying to get these things done, and you're being scuppered at every turn by. You know, planning inquiry officers uh, re- reaching bizarre conclusions, and local councils p- throwing spanners in works. You've you're the man hands-on who's trying to negotiate all those difficulties. I don't know if that's more frustrating because you're hands-on, or whether it's more frustrating for us fans who are obviously recognising the same problem but are helpless. I don't, I don't know. I just well, found it such an intensely frustrating period. Well, it was so agonising.
2: It was, Russ, but, you know, we were, don't forget that Martin and I were, you know, leading that campaign. We, we were leading the battle, uh, you know, administratively in terms of dealing with the council and all the experts, uh, you know, that we had to consult mm. with. Um, but the fans were involved, the Farmer for All campaign played a very important role in the ultimate victory uh, because the Farmer for All uh, group, of which Martin and I sat on that committee, but we weren't the only executives on it. Paul Samra was the chair of it, you know, and uh, John Bain, Liz Costa, a whole range of people, Bill Swallow, Jan Swallow, there was a whole range of people that worked on that committee and they were all actively involved. And, of course, we would have regular meetings with them, uh, probably at the height of the activity, virtually one every fortnight. Um, and it went on for literally for months, that. So they were, um, you know, they were certainly, uh, it was being well reported locally. And, of course, a lot of people, they were telling their friends and what was going on and how we were being thwarted. Yeah. Um, and of course, I used to write and Martin used to write in the programme regularly, you know, what was going on and what we are, what we'd like you to do now is that, you know, right here, to, here's a draft letter to send to your local council. All of that went on uh, with the help of that fantastic committee of devoted Albion fans yeah. who should always be remembered as, you know, as an important part of that battle for the stadium, very important part of it.
1: it's a, a
2: wonderful story of, of determination and resolution against almost unprecedented set of, of um, circumstances that were against it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember getting Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Darlington, QPR fans all writing in letters, you know, with that one where it said it's not in the greater public interest, that conclusion. You know, there was a, there was a response, wasn't there, where we all sent stuff in. And I, I know loads of other people besides did the same thing. And the, the planning application, I mean, apparently it's the longest in European history for a sports stadium application yes. um, by yes. some distance.
2: Uh, it's incredible. Well, we went, we went from February 03, 2003, which is when the first public inquiry started to October 2006. So that is over three and a half years Hmm. through the two public inquiries and then the appeal from Lewis. So all of that cost money, huge amounts of money. that should have been going into the actual building of the stadium and the building of the football team, of the team itself. You know, we had to, we spent in total around £14 million to get that stadium. Not building the stadium, you know, about getting the stadium yeah. in terms of all the fees we have to pay to all sorts of consultants. Uh, the, you know, the lawyers made an awful lot of money out of that, which they always do. I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, well. Sorry, any lawyers listening, <laughs> <but> they <you> know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, you know, it's necessary, but, it, you know, the amount of red tape. And we, we knew that there were people out there Looking for the the slightest slip up that one of our uh, representatives might make yeah. you know, in the legal side of it uh, and indeed there was a mistake in the first um, you know public inquiry yeah. approval. one bit of wording wasn't it the second approval uh, the, the second uh, appeal, second public inquiry approval letter contained an error in it. Mm which was simply an administrative error by someone in the Home Office or, you know, the cultural office or the, com- the community office in the government had typed this wrongly, and the Lewis people picked up about their boundaries and what part of the stadium was in their boundary and wasn't, you know, and it was picked up. It was a, This is a huge letter of approval in going to 60-odd, 70 pages and you know, later on in the report, there was a typo that said something different that had said uh, than been said earlier, and that was picked up, and that's why they went to appeal. You know, it was absolutely unbelievable uh, what we had to go through. Um, so all that champagne that was sucked, you know, <laughs> a few days before at Donatello's, and then at the Amex. Sorry, at the. um Wimbledon. Was welcome, but wasted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we enjoyed it anyway. (laughs) Well, everyone enjoyed it, but I must say, you know, it was, I tell you, we had some empty feelings. I always remember, I mean, I was talking to Norman Cook about this literally a couple of weeks ago, that how down we all felt, you know, when that, uh, when they picked up this this error in this, and here we go again, you know, we're going to have to go to the high court this time. And it was, for me, it was, it was about the money that it was going to cost, but it was about the time. It was dragging on. You know, it went on and on. And you know, this is why. And then I did the deal with American Express on the stadium naming rights in June 2008, right? Oh, this, really? is a, this is a year after we'd got the final approval. Of the stadium. Yeah. So I did the deal, you know, with American Express, but it had to go on ice immediately because, you know, they told me that there's going to be a worldwide credit crunch coming up yeah. later that year in September, literally three months later. You couldn't so make it
1: up, could you? This it the timings had to
2: ridiculous. On ice, you know, and I, I, you know, this is why, in a sense, Tony took over what he did because. You know, he said, I'll make good any shortfall yeah. um, because we'd already banked, you know, we had bank loans. But also the the Amex deal was like, you know, writing a check sort of thing for the stadium. It was a long term deal. And but nevertheless, I said to the board, you know, we can't risk starting building the stadium with um, any sh- if there's any shortfall. Um, and this credit crunch could could create that situation. Tony came along and said, I'll make do, I'll make good any shortfall and I would like to become the chairman now. And I, I was a bit shocked by that because I was, you know, it's kind of my project and we've mm. been pushing for it all the time. But I also knew that, that this was the opportunity for the fans didn't have to wait even longer, mm. you know. So yeah. I agreed with Tony that I'd stand down, but it was, uh, it was a whole set of issues. I mean, if, that typing error hadn't been in that letter in 2007, we would have been into that ground two years earlier. We yeah. would have avoided the credit crunch.
0: Yeah.
2: We would have had the building going on during the credit crunch.
0: Or even yeah. more so if the first planning inspector had been more impartial actually given, actually not been given the wrong decision. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Was, well, um, again, I may have said this
2: before in the previous uh episode and this long discussion that we're having but um, John Prescott told me after it was all over you know after the second inquiry had finished after the appeal had been finished and we eventually got the green light from Hazel uh, uh, blears, who was the community minister you know by that time mm-hmm. they'd replaced John Prescott Um That letter came in (coughs) July 2007, you know, Uh, but, you know, we would have been into that. uh, We should have been into that two years earlier. The deal that I did with the American Express would have been two years earlier and everything would have been two years earlier. Yeah. And we wouldn't have been affected by the credit crunch as we were, but... Tony was there to, you know, make sure that we didn't have a further delay on top of all these other delays. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's what happened. And it was a saga. Mm. Um, I mean, I look 80 odd, which is what I am, but I'm actually now I'm, I'm only 38. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be those, surprising. Those furrows in my brow. <laughs> Everyone is a planning application rejection. <laughs> planning application
1: furrow, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the end, the story fits together, doesn't it? I think the fact that Tony's able to to help out on that last leg of the journey, great. It just it, it was a relief that that was able to happen, and for everything that all the effort you put in through all those years, it would have been a tragedy if somehow it had been failed at the you know, the, the last hour. And so, I mean, all of it in the end fitted together, but it is an incredible story and well, uh, one that will endure.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, Russell, the the point is, it just shows that determination can yeah. win out in the end. It was a bit like my battle against Archer. He thought mm-hmm. he, you know, he thought he could see me off, uh, but I'm a determined character. And when you've got a lot of people working with you, who were equally determined, as I was with the battle for the stadium, then in the end, we knew that justice had to prevail. You know, that you couldn't have hundreds of thousands of people writing in, sending in their names in petitions, and then some bureaucrat say, no, they can't have it. And, of course, now the Amex is, you know, is accolades for it. We won in almost the first year of it being built, we won this design award for the best-looking stadium in the world. Yeah. You know, and that's in Brighton, folks. Yeah. That's where it should be. You yeah. know, not in Gatwick, which some people <laughs> would have had me play at Gatwick, <laughs> or New Haven. No one the one. To those yeah. Yeah, on the wrong way. It's
1: on the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the design award, wasn't that the one where it was um, presented in Turin and Juventus were uh, rivals for the award and they lost out to us? Literally on the home territory. Yeah. Was that one tick off? Yeah. That was great.
2: Well, it was, it was a, a you know, a, an international design award. Mm, and, yeah. um, you know, but I, their stadium, you know, the, uh, it wasn't a complete rebuild. I mean, it was a rebuild of an
1: stadium where it started, right? Well, you might have to lean into the, Lean into your computer there a bit, Dick. I think you've faded Oh, made Sorry. Say <laughs> so that last bit again. Sorry about the award I was again. saying
2: that the Juventus Stadium was a rebuild of, on the existing site.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, the, uh, stadium, um, the Apoli, you know, I think it's yeah. the Alps, the Alpi, the stadium, the stadium, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, whereas ours was a complete new build, of course, but, um, Yeah, we should be proud of, you know, I wasn't going to have four, you know, four sheds around a football pitch. Martin and I would determine that we would have a great design stadium. And uh, coming from uh, my background, you know, I was more interested in designing, having something designed that was very unlike any previous stadium. I mean, I said to the architects, you know, when we first sat down with them, probably the first or second meeting, Imagine, you know, what I want is a, um, a, a, a stadium that is, uh, the first, oh God, what's the architect? I'm, I'm, ruining my own story by forgetting the name of it. <laughs> Henry Moore.
1: Oh yeah.
2: The sculpture. I said, mm-hmm. I want the first Henry Moore looking stadium in the world. I want all We want curves everywhere. We don't, apart from the only straight (laughs) lines we want are on the pitch. So it's got to, uh, reflect the, you know, the landscape and the, and the sculpture of the surrounding hills. And that's what we want. You know, that's the type of look of the stadium. And of course, if you look, and I've got in my briefcase sitting over there, you know, in my house here. And um, dr- the original drawings we had of that stadium, and I tell you, you'd recognise them immediately because there's hardly anything changed in the reality of the stadium, as opposed to initial, you know, embryonic I, drawings.
1: I don't know if there's anything in this, tip, but I've always thought from certain angles, the stadium um, looks like with the, the white steel, it looks like um, the traditional basic design of a seagull. Was that... Is there anything in that? Do you know what I'm, I'm talking about? the, the curves Yeah, kind I, I do. No,
2: not really. It was more to, you know... That's that, a coincidence. That, that, yeah, well, it's good thinking. Because, it's a happy one. Me, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you've drawn that conclusion, Russell. You're the only person that has my... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know why more people haven't, to be honest, because I can see what you mean exactly. But, you know, for me, what was vital... Was that we didn't need to have it precisely the same on either side. It's yep. got to follow the land, the curvature of the land. So you know the west stand that na- you know that we now have in the stadium is much bigger than the east stand, and that's because of the curvature of the earth there.
0: Hmm. You know. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer <laughs> solitaire,
0: huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase over and by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I mean, we 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 broke uh, ground in that stadium in December two thousand and eight. And if you looked at the ground then, you know, the, the surface we were breaking, you, you looked around and thought, how on earth are we going to build a stadium here? Because it was so confined in many respects. Yeah. And it was so made up of different, a patchwork of different sort of bits of landscape that, you know, it was a miracle in a sense. But that's what you do with modern design. You know, you make it work. And... Uh, <laughs> I always remember, you know, the opening day, the first digger you know, going in in December 2008. They had we had a spot in the, in the where the it was being built, um, where the digger was starting, which was the actual penalty spot oh, yeah. for the north goal, right? And um, no, actually, sorry, it's the south goal. That's the very spot where the penalty is is So they got me to take a penalty kick there on that spot, and they put these two big mechanical diggers, you know, <laughs> arms like that. Yeah. So they went like that. So they made this huge goal, and I still missed.
1: <laughs> Your <laughs> My... Diana Ross moment, was it?
2: <laughs> yeah, i i, I hit the, I hit the stanchion. Um, <laughs> You know, we thought
0: about taking penalties for Albion these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> do better than average if you hit, yeah. if you hit the bar. Martin <laughs>
2: came along behind me, who's hardly ever seen football in his life. He was a rugby man, I think, when he was at school. Slotted into the right corner in a perfectly positioned penalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, as I did, I did a, uh, I blazed it over the bar like Kepa Kabulka or whatever his name is, the Chelsea <laughs> Kepa, you know, the Chelsea yeah. recently.
1: That one's still wow. travelling, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: so I'm conscious of time. I know you, you want to get your dinner in in a minute, Dick. So I'll, I'm just trying really round this up, I think, by asking you, well, a couple of, of quick-fire questions. A friend of mine who was we coming on here, John Orchard, and he asked you to say, do you know where the, the FA Cup final money is? <laughs> it's a running joke everyone always asks, yeah.
2: I don't know, there's, there was someone on Northland chat who used to keep, who used to keep accusing me of taking the money. I mean, what <laughs> I the hell was a, that all about? I think it a running
1: joke going on. Yeah, well, I know, but so. it didn't,
2: it didn't make, <laughs> it frankly, annoyed me because, you know, it's as if I had anything to do with the club at that time. <laughs> I know I'm old, but I wasn't not, involved. No,
1: exactly. I was yeah, just yeah. a
2: fan. And you'd better ask, um, you know, the people in charge of the club at that time. Um, Definitely. Just an innocent think, fan. I don't yeah. think many of them are alive today. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's probably gone down with with somebody, hasn't it, that one? Um, you're certainly an innocent fan in that one. Were you innocent in regards to the damage to the uh, playoff trophy? We've got to ask you that one.
2: <laughs> no, I wasn't innocent. Um, <laughs> I, hands up on that one. Well, I've kind of thought he was innocent, well, it depends. Danny, you know, I was down... Uh, they were all up on the... Uh, the team were receiving that trophy, you yeah. know, which looks good from a distance, but it's virtually made of papier-mâché. You know, <laughs> silver and gold papier-mâché. Anyway, um, so Danny, they're all up on the pedestal, you know, on the dais, and there's lots of uh, bunting coming down and all that. And Danny saw me standing just in front, you know, away from the... not actually on the dais. And he came over and he said, here you are, Mr. Chairman, you deserve this. And he gave it to me. And unfortunately, we between us, we dropped it, right? So it went down, hit the edge of the um, of the platform and bent. So when I picked it up, it was like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you what know, it angle here? We're, so we're it, demonstrating.
2: it was at... It was at um, Diagonal at the <laughs> handles rather than being straight, you know. Um, Michel Kuypers, who didn't play that day when Roberts was in goal, I remember. Um, yeah. Michel, he was a strong lad, you know. I mean, it isn't made of papier mache, it's made of metal, but it's not, you know, it's not really. He was able, he he grabbed this thing because I was starting to walk around him with this stupid look and it. He grabbed it but he bent it back straight you know under his arm virtually so the rest of the celebratory walk was me holding it up you know shoulder high sort of thing and was successfully completed otherwise there would have been a lot of embarrassment on my face you know because i could (laughs) see how ridiculously bent it was
1: (laughs) again it all just it all just adds to the occasion doesn't it really yeah um And I I think just finally for me, uh, I don't know, Peter, if you've got any other questions as well, please feel free, but I was just going to say favourite moments from the Wigdian era uh, and from the Amex era. Um, As a fan, as a chairman, however you want to
2: phrase the question. Well, I think that's 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 too much to talk about in one go. Right, it sounds (laughs) like we'll have to get you back on. (laughs) Invite me back. Because the other thing that I... Quite happy to talk about is my views about football today. So I think yeah, that's well, that's in a direction that's
1: uh, kind of
2: hmm. I'm I'm um, involved in football at a strategic level uh, hmm. now, uh, involving all the European leagues, you know, and it's about um, financial governance, really. I you know when Berry went under. Uh, a lot of people came to me because they knew that, you know, I'd been able to help save the Albion. And they, you know, it was too late. Bury, the Football League, really didn't know anything about, really, what was going on at Bury. And um, it made me resolve. I started thinking about it, that we've got to stop this happening, you know, in the future. <coughs> hmm. <coughs> and if you think, when you think that a club like Derby County who have won, you know, English Division 1, they've won it, they've won the Premier League, effectively, is mm-hmm. now in a situation where it could go bust. You know, it could go out of existence because of, you know, mismanagement of the club uh, on the off-pitch, the not on the pitch. And, um, you know, that's just a, a really bad indictment of the way the leagues are run. They're not controlled you know the clubs are uh they're not they're not properly governed in that sense financially, so you know I'm working on this project today, which I have been for a year or so um and we're working with a number of european leagues we're working with the e f l but we're not working with the Premier League because we don't need to work with the Premier League they don't have that problem uh But every league from the Championship down does have that problem of being at risk of going out of business, and it's exacerbated now by the effects of COVID. You know, with the lost gate receipts. Um, So it's it's a big, it's a big issue, and
0: um, in a way, ironically, the Premier League is probably as much a cause of it as anything. Because I mean, Derby, for example, the You know, I know they've not been in the Premier League for 13, 14 years, but their attempt to get in the Premier League has caused them the problem, a lot of the problems they have today. Well,
2: that is, you know, that's this huge gold meter between, you know, the Premier League and the rest. And as you say, um, owners, chairmen, uh, overstretch in their desire to reach the promised land. Um, and unless you've got big pockets, You know, you're gonna you 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 get a lot of money, well over 150 million, you know, just by being in the league, in the Premier League. But if you've overspent to get there, (coughs) excuse me, and you're committed to big player wages, you know, that is a recipe for ultimate disaster.
1: Yeah, and that's for the fan running the club. It's not even a sinister aggressor, so to speak, is it? That's someone who's trying to do something for the club they love, and it's all gone wrong. And well, there's a whole long story to Mel Morris and Derby. We won't go into here, but um, you know, even even with perceived fans in charge, it can go wrong. Thankfully, it hasn't for us. We've had we've had you and we've had Tony, and it's it's been great. But for other clubs like that, it could show. It shows how it can still go wrong.
2: Which yeah, is I mean, a terrifying thoughts. There's so much money at the top of football. Hmm. One of the issues should be that it sh- you know, more of it should be allowed to filter down. Right. So that the pyramid
0: is properly protected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look at the money that put both Barry and especially Matt <clears throat> went, down, went out of business for 500000 When you consider yeah. what you pay for in the Premier League... It's obscene that a whole club, uh, you know, a, a huge part of a local community has, got, has lost their has out of business because of them for that sort of money in a sport where, you know, r- clubs get a here yeah, for for TV rights and, you know, kind of, it's just, yeah. Well, they, you know, clubs like Man United
2: get three million from gate receipts for yeah. a match, you know, so, I mean, it's all in scale, of course, but the fact is that you know, clubs with wonderful histories. Berry won the FA Cup, you know, in nineteen oh six, I think. I remember it well, actually. <laughs> no. <I do. laughs> Sorry, plus uh, you're a bit quite you're a bit slow there. I was I a bit slow again. about one, wasn't I? No, that Berry, you know, seriously, were I think founded members of the Football League and they certainly yeah. Yeah. played in the cup final.
1: I think they had a records cut window didn't they, at one point?
0: And they, they also have been, like, in yeah. to be recent, in time I been watching the Villa Championship side, you know, it's not like they've been down the bottom division or something like No, no and, and this
2: is, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned it, Peter, the really important thing is the role these clubs play in their communities. Yeah. And uh, this is why, you know, when I took over at Brighton, I was absolutely determined to make sure the club gave a lot back to the community. Uh, and use the power of football, you know, to benefit people in all sorts of different ways. And uh, I think that, you know, Albion in the community is a wonderful uh, role model for other clubs to follow because, you know, we have done some exceptional things at Brighton. And I think that, you know, it's just a, a part of what football means to the world. You know, it, it's so important as a, as a sport and as a pastime, as a hobby or a passion, depending on your, you know, or, or an obsession, uh, you know, it, it meets so many people and gives them pleasure that, you know, it, it's, it needs to be encouraged in the right way. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I won't go into it here, but I think the European Super League will happen. Uh, eventually, a not too distant future. But I've got, you know, thoughts about that, but um, if anyone wants to listen to me rambling on about that, I'm very happy to talk about it yeah. sometime in the near future. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe say that one. Hmm.
0: The right yeah, I've now. I've got a few thoughts on the European Super League as well. Yeah, hmm. we've got quite a few thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: I think it's, it's worth having a discussion about it hmm. because let's face it, you know, if certain things hadn't, had happened, which they didn't the first time round, mm. that could be happening that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, Again,
1: it's, um, it's down to fan power, things, isn't it? it? and Juventus and, uh, well, they've, they've never uh, given up, but the, the yeah. fan power has at least staved it off for a while. Again, it's, it's about the fan power in terms of being able to make a difference. Um, going back to your thing about communities. Um, whether it's a bear moth club in a massive city or it's one man and a dog watching a game or 50 men and a dog watching a game in a village somewhere, communities matter. And I think when it goes to the big scale and it's stuff like this, European Super Leagues, the, the arrogance and the greed and the ulterior motives of Juventus, Real and Atletico in partic- uh, and Barcelona in particular are, um, well, vile in my opinion. I, I I cannot bide yeah. it, but unfortunately, I, I do agree with you, Dick. I think it probably will happen in some form or other at some point because it's a power. Yeah.
0: It's a there's also isn't it? there's also another part of me that says, you know, the big six leave. It'll be if as long as they leave the Premier League as well and they go and do their own thing, it could even be English champions one year. It'd, It'd be, be a, a much that. more interesting <laughs> league, won't it? Yeah, well, it won't be just like only three or four teams can win anything. Actually, a lot of teams could win the Premier League. It might I'm be. Next time, I'll tell you how it can be done.
2: Hmm,
1: Intriguing. That's, a, that's an intriguing note to finish on, I think. So um... only
2: because I'm aware of all the, you know, I'm aware of where the, uh, the loopholes are, for example, in terms of the way it could be uh, mm. manifested. The thing is, it's all driven by television money. Yeah. It's all driven by that. And, you know, if you know, guys, you're running a podcast, which is brought to the listeners via um, various media platforms, one of which is streaming. And, you know, that's the future of football broadcasting, is streaming. And that it's hardly scratched the surface financially of that, you know. And that's where, you know, these multi uh these huge merchant banks in Wall Street will see huge business opportunities. They, they see football clubs like they would look at Disney or Amazon Prime. That's how they see them because they can be an entertainment conglomerate under that brand name of the, of the club. I mean, Manchester United being the most obvious one, uh, it's the biggest sports club in the world, bar none. You know, in terms of none of the American, uh, NFL, American football, you know, American football teams are anywhere near the global reach of Manchester United. Um, but there's, and there's huge money in, in building those franchises, what they would call them franchises. Uh, so. Yeah. And bigger is not necessarily best, is it? It What's ain't going thing? away, guys. I'm afraid. No, no, that's yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Oh well on that on that on that delightful note we'll (laughs) round off. But no, I mean Dick, it's been absolutely brilliant to have you back on. We've enjoyed the last conversation. We've enjoyed this conversation probably even more, haven't we? Peter, I think. Yeah.
0: Great.
1: Yeah. So over these two episodes, um, it's been it's been great to, to be hearing your thoughts on on all things, Albion. As you said in the previous conversation, it's it's good to document as much as we can, I think getting voices on the air has been part of what this podcast has been about, um, whether they be just ordinary fans or people yeah. like yourself who've got a significant part in our history as a club. Um, but I think all of those voices are important, very much not least yours, because uh, what you've got to say, obviously, is is really interesting. And this has got a great deal of insight. And it's been a pleasure to have you on talking about the history of this club, this modern era. And... um I think you've set, certainly set the groundwork for what we're now enjoying today, and certainly Tony has taken on the mantle, and fair play to him as well. But it's all come from that era, hasn't it? And I think we've all grown together as a club um, through adversity, and um, and you were in charge during that period. Um, <laughs> quite a quite a story, as we said,
2: and well, I it's think, one I think one, I think one to endure. builds uh, bonds that are hard to. Afraid. I mean, look at what's going mm. on in you know in Ukraine. The people oh, are so yeah. determined uh, that they you know they're going to you know they will survive because they're so determined. Yeah, and it's remarkable. People, isn't I it, mean, in a doing. different scale of things, but nevertheless, the same human resolution to achieve something yeah. is yeah. there. Is what we're seeing in 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 Ukraine now. Uh, I, I I'm not trying to make a direct comparison, but what we, what we, the reason the Brighton Football Club is such a strong entity today is because of that adversity that we all went through. So many fans went through, and I'm glad that their children, you know, are able to just enjoy the Amex and what goes with it, the Premier League football, etc. <clears throat> but you know, it, it, the adversity that we went through made us much stronger as a club, without a doubt. And, and people remember that. And let's hope that through media and platforms like yours, that that's never forgotten in the club, you know, because you, you almost need that to have a, an injection of, of revitalization, revitalization of a club where everyone pulls together and does something special, you know. And that's what happened with Brighton, without a doubt. yeah.
0: yeah. Thank Brilliant. you for having me on guys. I've enjoyed Thanks so it. much for coming on. It's been, yeah, been both, well, all of it's been amazing. Both, both recordings we've done have been so good. Hmm. Yeah. So thank you very much
1: indeed, Dick. And it just leaves us to sign out now with our usual sign off. So Peter, stand or fall?
0: Up the Albion.
1: Seagulls.
2: <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.